and undergoing surgical reconstruction. As many women with mutations in BRCA1 or BRCA2 have done, what would she tell her daughter? And at what age should her daughter be tested? Some days she was certain the test would be positive. After all, everyone remarked how much she looked like her mother. On other days, she remembered that such information was irrelevant to the possibility of her carrying this specific genetic glitch, and she was more hopeful. The fateful day arrived when a phone call from the genetic counselor invited Catherine to come to the clinic to hear the results. With her heart in her mouth, she sat across the desk as the counselor opened the file and then broke into a smile. Catherine, she said, I have good news. You have not inherited the BRCA1 mutation carried by your mother. Your risk of breast and ovarian cancer is no greater than that of the average woman of your age, and your daughter, likewise, carries no special risks for these diseases. Overjoyed, Catherine called her uncle to share this happy moment, but both of them confessed to remaining uneasy about other maternal relatives in Canada and Europe, and about Catherine's brother Brad, who had chosen not to be tested. Although males with mutations in BRCA1 and BRCA2 face only a slightly increased risk of cancer of the prostate, pancreas, and male breast, their daughters may still be at high risk of breast and ovarian cancer if they've inherited the mutation. Brad's young daughter now became the remaining member of this nuclear family with a potential genetic cloud over her. Dr. James is a physician who has devoted his professional life to research on molecular genetics, so it was ironic that his own family turned out to be affected by one of the more dramatic discoveries in hereditary disease of the past decade. But then it happened again. This time, it was his father-in-law, Fred, now in his late 70s, who contacted Dr. James about a medical evaluation. Fred had noticed some discomfort in his legs and a deterioration in his golf game and, after an initial evaluation by his primary physician, had been referred to a neurologist. Fred was calling to say that the neurologist had detected some slowing of nerve conduction in his legs and was suggesting that Fred should be tested for an uncommon genetic condition known as Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease, named for the three French investigators who originally identified it. Dr. James was initially appalled at the idea of such testing, since Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease was generally associated with progressive weakness in the legs beginning in the 20s and 30s. Thinking that a genetic test for this condition in an elderly man would be essentially a waste of time and money, Dr. James nonetheless did not voice an objection to this plan, since he didn't want to interfere with his father-in-law's medical evaluation. To his amazement and consternation, the test was positive. After more study of the problem and discussion with the experts, it began to make more sense. Until DNA testing was made available, Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease had been purely a clinical diagnosis. So, of course, the cases that were discussed in textbooks and medical journals tended to be those with a more severe course. Now that the gene had been identified and could be spotted by a specific molecular test, it was becoming apparent that a milder disease, including the remarkably late onset presented by Fred, was more common than had been appreciated. This time, the diagnosis struck even closer to home. Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease is a dominant condition, 
and this means that the child of an affected individual has a 50% chance of inheriting the abnormal gene and also being affected. Thus, Dr. James's wife, Dawn, as well as her brother and sister, might be significantly affected by this discovery in the future. In fact, it wasn't just a matter of the future. It was also about the past and the present. Dawn's sister, Laura, had long struggled with what had been assumed to be a congenital problem with her feet and ankles. Blamed on club feet, but never definitively diagnosed, this problem now appeared likely to be a consequence of a particularly early manifestation of the same genetic disease that had appeared so late in her father. Here was a chance to provide a definitive diagnosis. Yet Laura decided not to be tested. She was not convinced that the information would change anything, and she was a cynic about health care. She had had several frustrating experiences over the years with orthopedic interventions that were supposed to help her chronic foot problems, but didn't really...